began a text last week and did not finish it, so I'm going to review it. Those of you that were here, bear with me. I'm not going to go to the depth of it I went last week, but I am going to review it in order to get to finishing the text today in Revelation 21. We begin in verse 10 as John was carried by the Spirit away into a great high mountain, lifted up in the presence of God upon Mount Zion, Revelation 14. Mount Zion, the Lamb of God with 144,000 who were not corrupted with the ways of the world and the gods of the earth. They are those who are mentioned in the earlier part of Revelation that God preserves the remnant of His people in the world. And John is carried up into that mountain and he's seen by the Spirit of God through Christ. There's no way to know any of this except through Christ. This book is called Revelation. It is manifesting the finished work of God to us. The knowledge that we have from the Spirit of God of Jesus Christ and His finished work is so very precious to a soul. It gives us peace in this world. John saw the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of God from heaven. Well, if it's coming from God, it's got to come down. James says every good gift, every perfect gift, cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. I say that to make the point that everything that we have from God comes down to us. Now, I made mention last week, as I have all the way through this text, from beginning of end, from Revelation 1 to the time we finished. We can apply every bit of this to heaven and immortal glory. What we're going to talk about last week and today is all in heaven above. There's no denying that. We can't see it. We can't know it without God revealing it to us. Once again, the name of the book. But it has come down to us in the kingdom of God that we have this knowledge. Now, it has the glory of God. Of course, that's Christ. But we also think of glory and the brightness as the bow around Him. Light, this is the stone most precious. We mentioned the stone of the jasper, which is clear. And as a diamond, when the light shines through the crystal, the different prisms of light that reflect and show forth different shades and different colors of light which reveal unto us the many facets, the many things contained in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the beauty of them. This is a symbolic book given to a Jewish man that he may understand. He's been brought up in the law and all the things entailed in that and he's having the finished work of Jesus Christ revealed unto him by the, by the Spirit of God. We talked about the walls, great and high, the twelve gates, the twelve angels, the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. We went back to Ezekiel 48, beginning in verse 30, and found where this city in Ezekiel's vision had the same thing. And upon each gate... Entry into the city, entry into the kingdom. Upon each gate was a name of the tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob, 
typifying unto us the elect of God. This shows us that the only people who can enter into that city are the elect of God. They are the ones that God chose. They are the ones involved in the covenant of grace from before the foundation of the world. They enter into this city. Once again, we had nothing to do with that. That We're translated by the Father into the kingdom of His dear Son. Heaven and immortal glory, there will be nothing there but God, the Godhead, and His elect. Those contained in the election of grace. That's there. That is and will be. And nothing can change that. In this body of sin that we dwell, we cannot see nor understand that in its fullness and what it will be like. But that knowledge, when we're translated into the kingdom of God, when we're born of the Spirit of God, is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And the only way we realize anything is by revelation of Jesus Christ but it came down to us in the kingdom of God. So what is in heaven above is made knowledgeable to us here in the kingdom of God in the world. There's peace in that. We live in a dark world. We seek peace and that peace is in Christ. His name is called Shiloh. That means the peace of God. The wall had twelve gates, twelve angels. I've heard people say the twelve angels are like the cherubs at the Garden of Eden, but cherubs are not angels. Cherubs are cherubs. Angels are angels. I tend to believe, since this book is speaking of revealing Christ to us, these angels would partake the ministering side of an angel. Angels are either destroying and protecting, or else they are bringing a message. The message that comes is Christ and Him crucified. This book reveals Him unto us. There's twelve. Twelve is the number of completeness. Therefore, all the elect of God will know God. I will write my law in their inward parts. We shall all know God when we're born of the Spirit at some point between conception and death. The wall's great. We made mention last week of when God created the earth, He placed man in the Garden of Eden. That's a type of the church. That's the kingdom that God put him in in Eden. Eden had no walls around it. It did not need walls. There was no sin. There was no enemy. I say that to make the point because although this is in heaven above, we will not need walls to keep out enemies in heaven above. Therefore, in my mind, this must be talking of the... the, Temporally, It must be talking of the kingdom of God in the world. It's not temporal. It's eternal. It'll be lifted up to God on the last day when He delivers up the kingdom. But it's here in this world is what I'm trying to say. We have enemies in this world. When Solomon built the kingdom, the walls were placed around it. The gates were open in the day. At night, the gates were closed to keep the enemy out. That brings us to mind of Matthew 16 where Jesus said, Upon this rock, what rock? Revelation, the knowledge of God, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've got walls. And God said in Isaiah, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem. I believe this is a type, a symbol of the church of God in the world. Yes, it's in heaven in immortal glory. We don't see that. We can't see that. We're sinners. We could not endure seeing that. But that's there. And while we live in this world, we have a knowledge of that. 
We have a knowledge of that by faith, the evidence of things not seen, and hope. What a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Made mention last week when we arise and go to glory, when the body's raised up, we'll see him as he is. There won't be any more preaching. There won't be anything by faith because we'll see him as he is. We won't have to hope for what we see and lay our hands on the Lord Christ as we bow before him. But he talks about the walls and the elect of God, their names written upon the gates, those who enter in. Remember in John 10, the Lord said, I am the door by which the sheep enter. There's no other way but by Christ. All this is about Christ. All this is about the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who saved us and loved us. The names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel are upon the gates. There's three gates on the east, north, south, and west. Every direction. Brought forth last week from Matthew 24 where He says, the Lord would send His angels to the four quarters of the earth to gather together His elect. Okay, that was not talking about the judgment day. That was talking about the church. The Gentile church. Matthew 24 is about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in that day. Destroy this temple. I'll build it again in three days. Talking about His body, but nonetheless pointing to the destruction of Jerusalem after the fulfilling of the law in Jesus Christ. His angels or ministers that He sends to the four corners of the earth, they gather together His elect from among the Gentiles. That's all that means. That's all that means. It's no longer just you, just Israel, but gathering together by the preaching of the Gospel, His elect. How does the Gospel gather us? The Gospel does not give you life. The Spirit of God gives you life. You're born of the Spirit. Dead men cannot hear. But after God has given you life, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, Paul tells us that God, by the means of the Gospel, calls a born-again child of God into the service of Christ, into the church, to glorify Christ in His body, to manifest themselves in the glory of Christ that they are the sons of God, the purpose that Christ be glorified. Now, now, the wall of the city had twelve foundations. The foundation is what it's built upon. We went to Ephesians 2 and 20. We talked about built upon the foundation of the apostles and saints. And we'll get to that in just a moment. In the name... And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in the foundation, the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. These apostles we see there in Ephesians 2 and 20. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What did the apostles do? God opened the door of evangelism to the Gentiles in that day. That door has been opened. That doesn't mean we make decisions to go here and there preaching the Gospel. That means the Spirit of God leads us where we should be to preach the Gospel. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This is the church in the world today. The Jews didn't have apostles. The apostles are in the New Testament church. It's built upon the preaching of the Gospel. There was no preaching of the Gospel that was accepted in the Old Testament because it was not mixed with faith. But now we preach the Gospel that those who have faith can hear and learn and worship. That's the purpose of all things, that we worship. 
But my point with that is this the foundation of this kingdom that's being spoken of contains the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, those whom He sent. Those who were in the authorship of the New Testament, moved by the Holy Ghost to establish the church of grace, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ here in this world. The Gospel does not get us to heaven. The Gospel does not give us to life. Therefore, even though these apostles are dead and gone in heaven with the Lord, this text, I believe, is dealing with the church and the world. Because by the work of the apostles and what Christ ordained and sent forth in them teaches us of the church and the ordinances of the church and even more importantly, the practice and the true doctrine of the church. That's what this book is about. True doctrine. The generation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The manifestation of the Son of God. And that's brought forth, it's brought to light by the preaching of the Gospel. Now, <coughs> measured the city. We went back to Ezekiel 40 and talked about him measuring the city. The same vision in context, not to the letter, but in context, beginning Ezekiel 40, we see them measuring the city there. The wall, the twelve foundations, the city's four squares like a cube. It covers every direction and everything. It's perfect, everything in its entirety. There will not be one left out. There will not be one added. And he gives us the height and depth of it. It's all the same. It's all perfect. 144 cubits according to the measure of man that is of the angel. In the verse 18, the building of the wall of it was jasper. We went through these wall, these stones and the foundation. We went back to Exodus 28, about verse 20, and we talked about the breastplate of the high priest. Christ is our high priest. Everything entailed in Exodus teaches us of Christ. It points to Christ. Aaron wore this. The high priest wore this. But it shows us Christ, a picture of Christ. One of the things upon the high priest when he would go into the holy place to offer sacrifice to God as Christ entered in to offer sacrifice to God as the Lamb of God. But upon his chest, covering his heart, was a golden breastplate. Pure gold. Remember that. It cannot be fashioned of man. It cannot be formed of man. Man has to put an alloy with it in order for it to hold its shape. Only God can form pure gold. That pure gold represents the righteousness of Christ. But upon his chest... He had the names written of the twelve tribes of Israel. In each stone, there was a name. The first one's Jasper. Jasper was had the name of Benjamin upon it. Made mention last week, Genesis 35. Benjamin was the only one of the twelve sons of Jacob who was born in the promised land. That should teach us of election. That should teach us of the remnant that God preserves. 144,000 representing a small remnant in this world that bring forth and practice in the true doctrine 
of the Bible. Many of God's children in the world never hear it, never see it, never understand it, and we don't fully. But it represents that. Now we come to the stones and we come to the text of today. Those stones are in the foundation. The name of every child of God is upon that and their purpose. We covered that last week. We'll begin in verse 21 of Revelation 21. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. A pearl is a rare thing. The truth is a rare thing. Just as gold is a rare thing. If gold were as plentiful as other materials, it would not be worth what it's worth. Gold is a precious stone. Gold was in Eden. Gold was there as a monetary thing that God put here for us to base our economy upon. I'll give you an example of that when we stray away from true doctrine. Let's go about straying away from the gold. We live in a country, and when this country was founded, our money was based upon gold. Long about 19, I think, 03, I think, they developed this institution called the Federal Reserve. The gold was replaced with monopoly money in my mind. It's based upon other things. We had no inflation. We had no monetary economic troubles because it was based upon a solid metal called gold and silver. Today, inflation's rampant. Loaf of bread's outrageous. A gallon of milk's outrageous. Why is that? Because we've left the scriptural use that God gave us with gold. It's not based upon that anymore. Now you compare that to true doctrine. Doctrines of wind that blow through the world. If we have anything other than what's revealed to us by God in Jesus Christ, and we have any other doctrine or any other practice, it's got an alloy in it, it's got a pollutant in it, it's not the same, it's not true, there's no peace in that, there's no glory to God in that. I would not have a God that I had to help. I was not there when He laid the foundation of the earth. I was not there before it when the covenant was made between the Godhead God does not need our help. He has taken counsel with none. He has saved His people and that's in Christ. But the twelve gates were twelve pearls. You notice the preciousness and the purity of the pearl. That's represented Christ and His righteousness. Now I'm going to say this before I move on. We're going to talk about some things here. And you remember these things are given to a Jewish man by the Spirit of God. All these things we're going to talk about are things that God created in the world. I say that to make a point. He's giving John the knowledge of precious things in this world, the most precious things he could know of or think of, that we might be able to understand the preciousness of the hidden things in heaven and immortal glory. I do not know if there will be created things like gold and silver in heaven and immortal glory the things which God placed here on this earth, which have all fallen in sin, and the whole heaven and earth and everything in it cast into the lake of fire, I do not know if God will have gold and pearls in heaven. I don't know if there will be oysters and pearls. I have no idea of knowing that. And I don't, at this point in time, that does not bother me for the secret things belong to God and I'm content in Him. Make that point. 
But the twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each gate represents the purity of Christ, the preciousness of Christ. They're rare. Every several gate was of one pearl. That is Christ. All these pearls, all these tribes of Israel, the pearl of great price, that's Christ, they entered the kingdom of the gate in one way only. I am the door of the sheep. They enter into the kingdom in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is revealed to us. Revelation. It came down from God out of heaven. And this knowledge is with us while we strive to worship God in this dark earth which God will destroy. We have the peace in that to know that our sins are forgiven, that, that we're white as snow before God in heaven in Christ because the righteous Son of God died for us. We have peace in that with a nation crumbling, with our freedom almost completely gone. We have peace in that knowledge. Twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. Every gate, every entrance, every elect child of God is of one pearl. Christ, the pearl of great price. In the street of the city, it's evident this is not talking of literal things. How big is a pearl? You cannot make a gate of a pearl. But the Scripture, the Spirit of God is showing us the preciousness of this by comparing it to the purity and the preciousness of a pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold. Again, pray for me, again, the fact that gold cannot be formed we got this ring in 79. It's been on a circle. I'm not getting into a circle. That's going to lead me aside with the never-ending glory of God in the gold because it never stops. It keeps turning. Enough of that. But this gold is formed in the shape of a wedding ring. If this were pure gold, it could not hold form. As smart as we think we are, in this world, we cannot can't even cure the common cold. We can't form gold and have it hold its substance. The mercy seat is overlaid with pure gold. That represents the pure righteousness of the Son of God. We see the cherubs overlaid in pure gold. One representing the Son of God, one representing the Son of Man, and they face each other because their works agree. God came in the world in a man. Examples of pure gold. It's all the work of God. None of it is ours. We can't form pure gold. Only God can do this. Now with that said, with that said, the street of the city was pure gold. Let's go to Philippians. Let me make a point with that. Chapter 2, I believe verse... I'll go to verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Our good works, we'll get into this more in a moment, are because God works in us.
to love and obey Him. Amanda loves that little song and we sing it. Number 10, I love the Lord because He first loved me. He loves you. He quickened you. He gave you life. He works in you to obey His will. That's why it says work out your own salvation. And one of Peter's writings with fear and trembling, we work out what God gave us. We walk in obedience to God. God causes us to do that. While we walk in this world, oftentimes our fellowship with God is, is delayed. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's taken away for just a moment. We turn our back on God as we follow the things of our mind and ourself and the world. Well, when we turn around, He's there. We work that out. We couldn't work it if God didn't give it to us already, if we didn't already have it. My daddy's planted a garden. He works his garden. If he didn't have a piece of land in a garden, he couldn't work a garden. It's there. God provides it. That's the work of God for the glory of God. The city was of pure gold. This represents the preciousness of the righteousness of Christ, the pure gold, in us, the streets are a pure gold. We walk on pure gold. There. That's what it says. That represents us walking in righteousness, free from sin. Satan, death, sin, defeated in the lake of fire, everlasting. And we and this body which God will raise up again or change at the last day will walk in heaven and immortal glory with Christ without sin, without sickness, without disease, without sorrow, without any of the many, many things of our nature that trouble us while we live in this world. We will see Him as He is and walk with Him. We're walking, we will walk in the pure righteousness of Christ. Now, we have a pure walk in this world. First of all, to make that true, God took away our sins. He put them behind His back to never be seen again. He put them on the head of the scapegoat to a land unknown, never to be seen again. God does not see our sin. God works within us to walk according to His will, and we do that. That represents heaven and immortal glory. And that represents God working in us here in the world. We can do this both ways. Because everything we have in this world cometh down from the Father of life in heaven and immortal glory. It's there. But it comes down to us. And I saw no temple therein. The children of God in the wilderness had a place that God commanded them to worship. There it contained the, it was a tabernacle, a tent. It contained the ark of God, which plainly shows Christ. I already mentioned the two cherubs of the mercy seat upon the ark of God. They would gather around that and worship. When we worship today, we don't worship 
the preacher or the church or anything but Christ. That's true doctrine. That's what we are to do. That's the intent of all creation. That's the purpose of all creation. That we worship the Lamb of God who saved us, who is our Lord, our God, and our King. They had a temple out there in the wilderness in a tent. When they carried it with them, when Solomon built the temple, we find that the ark was laid to rest. It was placed in the temple. That was a place where just as they would worship around the ark and the tent, that's the place God ordained, God commanded that they would worship. It's His right. He is the Creator of all things. They would gather around the altar and the temple. Only the priests would go into the holy place, but they'd worship and make sacrifice. Today, in this church, in any church, period, where people come together with a heart intent to sincerely worship the Lord, we have a place if you please, ordained of men where we meet in a house. This place was established in 1822 of Ebenezer. It was built, doubled as a schoolhouse, was burnt down, rebuilt sometime after the 20s, and been here since that time. This is a building. This is a meeting house. It's not the temple. Okay? It's not the altar. This is where we, by commandment of God, come on the first day of the week, Sunday, the day of the resurrection, the Lord's day, and worship our Savior and learn of our Savior. That's here. We don't have a temple, so to speak. This is a meeting house because your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. God is within you. That's how you have life. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is now within us. Your body is the temple. Christ is within you. Like believing citizens of the city of Jerusalem, brethren who agree all here together to worship in a scriptural way, so your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Let's look at heaven and immortal glory. He says, and I saw no temple therein. Now we just explained it here very quickly, very briefly. Let's go to heaven and immortal glory. For I saw no temple therein. Here we live in a world of sin. We battle self and the world and Satan daily. There, there will be no Satan. There in glory, there will be no sin. There in glory there will be no battles. Each and every moment of each and every day, God is with us. God will be within us. We shall see Him as He is. We will worship every second of every moment of time, whatever time is in eternity. People say, well, time is not uh, eternal. Or eternity is not time. Well, it is in a sense. Eternity is. It's now. It's yesterday, tomorrow, and now, just like Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. 
So in the, in the sake of explaining this, we use days and minutes and hours. But the point being, everything in our existence and our being when we get to heaven in immortal glory will be in the righteousness of Christ, walking with Him, seeing Him, worshiping Him, speaking with Him, loving Him, adoring Him, and all that we do, whatever it is. We know we've already covered. We're going, we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, Second Peter 3. Is it going to have a sun in the sky and a moon? I don't know. Is it going to have a, a place built to worship? No, because we're going to worship Him in everything we do. There's no need of a temple. For the Lord God Almighty, you want to see the Scripture, put the Son of God in deity with the Father and the Lamb and the Lamb, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Both together. They're with us all the time. And the city had no need of the sun neither the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lord is the light thereof. Let me read one more verse, and I'm going to go ahead and do it now. Put all this together. If you keep up, it's in Isaiah 60, where I want to go. The same context, the same text is being given there in the writings of Isaiah. Remember this time. Bring it to history. There was no Israel. The ten and a half tribes had gone to the north when the kingdom was rent because of mankind and our leaders, Solomon and his son. Jeroboam took ten and a half tribes to the north and Rehoboam the son of Solomon kept two and a half to the south. They were attacked and attacked and attacked. And the only reason they were still together is because God sent an angel and spared them from the Assyrian nation by who persecuted them day and night. So you give that to God. But the prophet, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving us a description of the Lord Jesus Christ and the church of God and the Gentiles. That's the same thing I believe we're seeing in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for thy light is come. Who is He talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. That is the darkness of sin. That is the darkness of the winds of doctrine. That is the darkness of Satan. It covers the earth. The whole world is corrupted. The whole world. All men are depraved by nature. They came forth in the image of Adam who rebelled against God. The darkness shall cover the earth. Gross darkness to the people. All people, but primarily this is talking about sons of God. And gross darkness to the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee. Christ. And the glory, His glory, shall be seen upon thee, Christ. We draw the pictures, and that's another story. People talk about that's the picture of the Lord. That's not the picture of the Lord they put in these pictures. That's the son of Caesar Boragis that was painted by Michael D'Angelo. Is that his name, Michelangelo? But because we don't know what the Lord looked like. Another day, don't worry about it. But... We see pictures portraying with a picture of Christ 
the light around him. I have had people tell me in days of old, and I remember it one night at Vestavia Church, the brother was there. Uh, he's been here before. Can't call his name right now, but he pastored the church in Fultondale. He was an old man. He was a short man. He had gray hair. And when he stood in the pulpit, the glory of God uh, made a bow around him in my eyes. The righteousness of God made a bow around him in my eyes. I've heard people say that they've seen that from time to time. Compare that to Christ and remember it when we get a verse or two down. That's the glory of God. That's what is around Christ, the glory of God. That's what they tried to portray in the pictures. They tried to make an image of Christ, the glory of God. We don't make images. That's idolatry. His glory shall be seen upon thee. Who's this talking about? The man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the Gentiles, here's the church, shall come to thy light. Christ is the light of God. And kings to the brightness of thy rising. Let lift up thine eyes around about and see all they gather themselves together. They shall come to thee. Thy son shall come from far, Gentiles from the four quarters of the earth into the kingdom of God. And the daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Let's go back to Revelation. <clears throat> the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. John chapter 1 teaches us that Christ is the light of God that lights the life of men. He goes on to tell us in the next couple of chapters, <coughs> he just briefly explains that darkness hates light. Christ is that light. Our soul, our being is to pray. God gives you life. You are born of the Spirit of God. Christ drives that darkness out. The light of Christ drives that darkness away. Walk into a dark room at midnight where you can't see your hand strike a match. There is light that gives us a simple way to understand what Christ is and how He drives the darkness away from us. For God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. And the city had no need of the sun. I don't know if there's going to be a sun there in the sky. There's one on this world. This is symbolic. Let's explain it. No need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did, not, did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Okay, let's put this. Lord, help me to be simple and give understanding. We do not need in this world of God. This is a symbol, remember, in the revelation of Christ. John sees there's no sun and moon to give light. God said there's darkness covered the whole earth and all the people. Christ comes into the world to His people to suffer and bleed and die. He, he redeems them. He makes atonement for their sins. He brings us back to God. He puts the light of God in our heart. It drives the darkness of our soul away. Why is there no sun and moon? We do not need the light of nature, of man, or artificial light, or any of these things 
in the revelation, in the knowledge, in the church of Jesus Christ. We need the pure light of God, which is Christ. I'll tell you what, the Son of God hanged upon the cross of Calvary, and from the for three hours, darkness covered the earth so dark a man could not see his hands. Because the glory of God overshadowed the light that God created in the sun and the moon and the stars. When God created the heaven and the earth and darkness upon the face of the deep, God said, let there be light. And there was light. That light was Christ. That came three days or four before God ever created the sun and the light. What is John saying here? We don't need artificial things. We don't need the things of nature, the things of man. We don't need lies and winds of doctrine. We need the pure truth of Christ and Him crucified for that is the light that God placed in our heart. That is the light that leads us through darkness in this world while we live in this kingdom of God. Yes, in His glory. As Ezekiel saw Him with the bow around Him is Christ manifesting God in Ezekiel chapter 1. He's in heaven in immortal glory and He forever will be. And that's our light. Will there be a sun and a moon on the, the, the place that God's preparing for us now which Peter calls a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness? I don't know. It don't matter because Christ will be our light. We don't need anything else. Our whole being centered and concentrated on Him in adoration and loving Him. Such bliss. Can you think about times you've been in service with God's people and your heart cried and your soul cried? Abba, Father, and tears filled your eyes and you wanted to fall on your face before Christ. It'll be like that all the time. Those moments don't last very long here. And what we have here does not even compare to the love of God that will be bestowed upon us there. The city had no need of the sun, neither the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. You notice where it puts in the Lamb? He's our King. He's our Lord. But here, He's represented as the Lamb. The Creator of heaven and earth who laid the glory that God had inside and offered His body a sacrifice as a lamb for us. He's our light. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. This just plainly says the nations. Scripture uses the nations to describe the Gentiles. In the Old Testament, there was Israel before it was rent by man's actions. The wise man in the world, Solomon. Well, Solomon was the wisest man. Yes, he was. I'll give you one better than that. Adam was the first man God made, good and upright without sin. He walked with God, the pre-incarnate Son, in the garden seeing Him and he sinned. There's no way possible that we could bring salvation. God hath appointed salvation for the walls of the city. He saved us. The nations of them which are saved, the Gentiles, God's elect among the Gentiles, 
from before the world ever was, which are saved shall walk in the light of it. What does that say? This is the Gentile church. What did he just say? And verse 3, Isaiah 60, The Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they shall come to thee, Christ. If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. All what men? All the wicked, God forbid. All the Father gave me will come unto me. Thy son shall come from far, and thy daughter shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Let me move forward a verse or two more, and I'm going to go back to Revelation. Let's put this in its place. The multitude tell you when it's talking about and what it's talking about. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, who are they? When Sarah died, Abraham took another wife. Her name was Keturah. And these are descendants of Keturah. Genesis 25. The abundance. The multitude of camels. What day is this talking about? Matthew chapter 2, wise men from the east would come to seek the Lord because they saw His star in the east. They were in the east and they saw His star in the west and it drew them, it, it brought them to the Lord Christ. They brought gifts. Read the text. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. Go to Matthew 2 and read what they brought the Lord as a two-year-old child. And the flocks of Kedar, who are they? Genesis 25. Guess who they belong to? Hagar, Ishmael, the one that was driven from the presence of Abraham's company. Because God made promise of Isaac who was yet to come, or who did had come by the time she left. He'd be a wild man. He'll dwell in the presence of his brethren. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. Doubt Scripture. Look at the Middle East today. This is the Arab. But who else was there when Christ was born and was two years old and brought gifts? All the flocks of Kedar. Sons of Ishmael. The child of Hagar, the handmaid of Sarah, shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebel shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance. Who accepts who? The Lord accepts us. We don't accept Him. On mine altar. And I will glorify my the house of my glory. Don't leave that chapter. We're going back in a moment. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. The kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it different ways people look at this and I'll take most of them. One of them is this is that the kings represent the kings of Israel. I would accept that if many of the kings of Israel had not been such wicked men who led God's people astray. But you can read that and find it. So I do not believe it's speaking of the 
kings of Israel. We know that God promised David that upon the throne would sit his seed forever, and that is Christ. Book of Luke teaches us that. Sits upon the throne of the house of Jacob forever. But another thought to this, and I would take this, I would I would accept this and be happy with it, is that the kings of the earth brought their glory, shall walk in the light of it, and do bring their glory and honor into it. I would take that in this way. Have no problem with it. That among the men that have ruled in the world over the sons of men and over God's people, those that were good, those that were among His elect, those that were righteous, they enter into the city. Now I'll have that in a heartbeat. And they do bring their glory and honor into it. But what I really believe, as He hath made us kings and priests unto God, we find that in chapter 1 about verse 7 or 8 of the book of Revelation for one easy place. And Peter, He's made us kings and priests unto God. I do believe by self that's what it's talking about. Or the kings and priests, those who reign over sin and death, they're kings because they reign over that, and they're priests because they worship God. They're saved. They walk in the light of Christ. The kings of the earth were kings and priests to God in this world. Do bring their glory and honor into it. <coughs> what, uh, what honor? What glory do we have? Pharaoh claimed great glory and honor. <laughs> what did God say? For mine own purpose have I raised thee up, that I may show my glory in thee. <laughs> we have no glory. We have no honor. These men of power that have been in the world, that inherit heaven and immortal glory, a child of God in the world, a king and priest unto God who strives to serve God, our glory, our honor is in Christ. Just as the light is around the Lord, the glory of God is around His people. As we mentioned earlier, it can be seen from time to time around some as God manifested. Brother Ferris, that was the brother's name at Vestavia. He, he looked like Moses before he put the shield over his face. He was glowing with the glory of God. I saw that with my eyes. And I cried in my heart rejoicing. We cast our crowns of righteousness and our glory and honor before the feet of the Lamb of God because our glory and our honor is in Him. Whom He called, them He also justified. Moreover, whom He justified, them He also glorified. That is the present tense. That is the past tense. When we reach heaven in immortal glory and we're raised up in the image of Christ without sin, in righteousness, we shall stand fully glorified. We were glorified in Christ when the covenant was made, although it had not yet been done. Because what God said is and will be. Period. And we're glorified in this world from God as we suffer. O thou afflicted, tempest-tossed, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. As we suffer, as we suffer affliction, as we mourn our sin, as we hurt 
in this world. As we strive to obey our Lord and God because we love Him and adore Him. Why? Why do we love Him and adore Him? Because He first loved us. And He's revealed that to us. What is the name of the book? I've got to hurry. I'm going to get through with this today. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth to bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. We shall, the gates of the church are never closed. The gate to God is never closed. It's wide open. Christ brings you here. He brings you into life. He brings you to salvation. He brings you here temporally. He saves you daily. The gate is always open. There will be no night there. There's no more gross darkness to cover you. Yes, we suffer. We suffer temptation. We suffer persecution. But the darkness shall not overcome us. The flame will not kindle upon us. The waters shall not overflow us. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations, of the Gentiles, or rather, yet God's elect among the Gentiles into it. In heaven and immortal glory this will be when every child of God is there and the glory of God saving us and leading us and delivering us shall be there in glory and all glory giving unto Christ. And while we live in this world and suffer and stand for Christ in adoration, the glory of Christ is with us. The glory of God is with us. It's seen. It's manifested to others. Why do they believe that? Why do they not run in excess of riot with us? Why do they insist that we can't do these things which are contrary to God? Does that sound familiar? And God is glorified. The glory and honor is to God who leads us and saves us. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or make us a lie. What is this saying? But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Two minutes. I wanted to go on further in Isaiah. I want you to catch 60 and 11, the gates shall be open continually. 60 and 19, the sun shall be no more than the light by day. Read those. Understand what he's talking about. Christ and the church and the world. That's in Isaiah 60. That's the same thing we're seeing here. There shall in no wise enter into it. First of all, let's give you a physical symbol. city of Jerusalem had walls. Men could gate open by day. Any man could enter into it in the daytime. Whether he was an Israelite, Samaritan, or anybody. And they closed the gates at night. These are open night and day because it's never any night. What does he say? What does he say? Okay, an example from old Israel. That kingdom was physical. This kingdom is spiritual. God translates us here. Anyone God translates here, God has cleansed. They're pure and white in the work of Christ. So they're clean. We can do things in this world that would defile God. Even if we're church members, things which are abominations, things which maketh a lie, Satan deceives, Satan deceives, Satan attacks. But we will not finally be overcome. In heaven and immortal glory, all of this 
that's wrong and sinful is already in the lake of fire when this time portrayed is shown. And I'll accept that 110% and amen, amen. But what he's also saying is that when we walk in the light of God on the streets of gold, the righteousness of Christ, following the light of God, entering into the gates of the city with Christ, for He brings us here, into the worship of Christ here in this kingdom in the world, standing in the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, imputed unto us through the finished work of Jesus Christ, by revelation of Jesus Christ, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed unto thee, but my Father which art in heaven. This is revelation. God giving you understanding of this while you're in this world. Final simple explanation. In the kingdom... The pure doctrine of Christ is taught. There's nothing that maketh a lie, false doctrine. There's nothing that worketh abomination, false practice, false doctrine. All of that is outside. Because here in the New Jerusalem, God has established it and God has put us here. Now, it's in heaven in immortal glory. Don't you ever doubt that. But it's come down to us. And this is the final Jerusalem in this world. When Christ appears, this Jerusalem will be taken up to the Jerusalem which is free. I can't tell you what it's like. I can give you brief descriptions as best the Spirit of God gives revelation of Jesus Christ and His Scripture. Next week we'll start a very pretty, Lord willing, text on the river of life.